With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is a Red V podcast documentary, bringing you the story of the missing rings. Detailing the 1992 and 1993 seasons of the St. George Dragons. Rising from the ashes of the struggles of the late 1980s to rebuilding the most famous club in rugby league to its rightful place. We hope you enjoy this five-part documentary series on an era that was hugely successful at the St. George Dragons and ultimately restored pride back into the Red V. This is the missing rings. Part 1. The Brian Smith Effect For a good part of half a decade, the St. George Dragons were a rugby league wasteland. Minor premiers and grand finalists in 1985, Saints had won premierships in 1977 and 1979 to perch themselves back atop the mountain in the New South Wales Rugby League. Even before the 1985 grand final appearance, the Dragons had successful seasons in 1981 where they made it to the second week of the playoffs. Two years later, they were playoff bound again after a dramatic five-match winning streak got them to the finals and they recorded playoff wins against Eastern Suburbs and Balmain. This was followed by a preliminary final berth in 1984. Roy Masters had been the mastermind behind the Dragons' success since coming over from Western Suburbs in 1982. Masters, who had similar success at Western Suburbs, was a master of psychology. Famously terming the Fibros vs. Silvertails war of the 1970s between Wests and their affluent rivals, Manly Ringa. A school teacher by trade, Masters had similarities to future St. George coach Brian Smith, who would take the reins in 1991. Perhaps the most painful of similarities was their inability to get the Dragons over the hump to win a premiership. However, after the successes of 1985, where all three grades made the grand finals, along with Reserve Grade and President Cup winning their premierships, St. George fell away and the glory years became dust in the rearview mirror. 
Roy Master stayed on as coach for the 1986 and 1987 seasons, but wasn't able to maintain the success of his former years. The mass departure of players from St George at the end of 1985 certainly influenced the squad moving forward, as young Dragon and future international Brad Mackay explains. What, what happened that they let 30 players, 30-something players go that next year, 86, and, and, and they didn't buy, they didn't replenish the stocks? I don't know what happened. I think it was probably more the, you know, the people who's in recruitment decision, they, 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 just, they didn't have any more players to, to fill the spots of all the players that went on. And um, so the revolving door of coaches was the reason, that was the reason. We, no results because we didn't, we didn't have the good players coming through that they should have. St George highly disgraced themselves in 1986 with a seventh place finish and were just a solitary point outside the top five at season's end. 1987, however, was a fall from grace with Saints recording only 10 wins during the season and were left stranded five points outside of the playoff positions. With high-profile players moving on and a lack of quality signings being made by the club, along with a distinct lack of ambition, Roy Masters retired from rugby league coaching and Julie left his post at St George at the end of 1987. From here, a merry-go-round of coaching changes plagued the Dragons over the next three seasons. Canterbury's Premiership winning coach from 1980, Ted Glossop coached the side in 1988. A former St George player himself who played 115 games in the 1950s for the Red V, Glossop was given very few tools to turn the club around. He did, however, lift up the one trophy that had eluded Saints throughout their history, the midweek Panasonic Cup. A triumphant evening at Parramatta Stadium against the Balmain Tigers saw the Dragons run out winners 16-8 over a side that would feature in the next two grand finals. It was a rare bright spot in an otherwise barren season that would continue into 1989 and 1990. The next cap off the rank was recently retired St George captain Craig Young. Young had a distinguished career as a player, playing 234 first grade games for St George, along with 10 games for New South Wales and 20 tests for Australia. A passionate man that was well liked by in the playing group and fiercely loyal to the club, Young was able to extract passion from his players, but ultimately not the consistent results needed in an era where Canberra, Balmain, Cronulla and Penrith were all light years ahead of the Red and Whites. The biggest criticism of Young was that he was too close to the players, having gone straight from retirement into coaching. It was then no surprise to see Young's contract not renewed at the end of the 1990 season, with the Dragons desperate to find a coach that could turn the ailing club around. The club settled on a name that was familiar to many at the St George Club, Brian Smith. Smith, who was a school teacher by trade, had spent time at St George playing 14 first grade games in 1974 before playing further first grade at Souths. Smith's coaching career had started at Newtown, where he was the under-23s coach until an opportunity at Souths arose in 1980. However, it was his appointment as head coach of Illawarra in 1984 that finally got his career off and running. Smith took a young Steelers side that had managed to win just eight games in 1983 to a 12-12 record in 1984. However, back-to-back -back wooden spoons and an eight-win season in 1987 forced Smith to look for other opportunities to further his coaching resume. 
A move to England with Hull saw a vast improvement in the coaching style and ideas of Smith as Hull flourished under his tutelage. They made it all the way to the Premiership decider in 1988-89 and were top of the league in 1991 when Smith made his move across to St George. Smith's good relationship with St George CEO Jeff Carr had a huge impact in him coming across. Carr knew the kind of coach that he was getting, having played and trained with Smith for many years. The pair had kept in contact regularly and Smith was desperate to get another opportunity coaching at the top level in Australia. Professionalism, training methods, preparing for games and accurate game plans were all part of a Brian Smith coach side. With a good bunch of valued associates around him, such as recruitment manager Max Ninnis, assistant coach Rod Reddy, head conditioner Scott Campbell and loyal gear steward Ron Grosvenor, Smith had put together a team capable of lifting the Dragons from the doldrums. The effect was almost immediate, as powerful New Zealand winger Jason Donnelly explained. And um, he, uh, he, he's, he's like a, a good businessman. You surround yourself with good people. I mean, he had Max Ninnis, who was a, a genius. Like, he'd, you'd get a plan, you'd know what your opposition were doing, what you needed to do, and then you'd go to training, and then you have, you'd have drills that would help you be stronger what your weaknesses were mm-hmm. and knowing exactly what your opposition was. And then you had Rocket, who gave you some of that old school. He was a pretty tough guy on his day, Rocket. Mm-hmm. Still a bit of a larrikin. But, you know, he he was good value too. You know, just even just some of the small things that he bought, like how to hold a ball. Training sessions became intense. Energy and enthusiasm was expected from the playing group and expectations rose from head coach Smith down to the players. Brad Mackay talks here about the level of enjoyment being far greatly decreased once Smith came in, but the results soon did come. Uh, he brought an intensity. He brought an intensity that um, was never there before. Um, you know, it, in a way, he he made it unenjoyable. Um, oh, okay. in, in, a, in a way, if you know what I mean. Like, but, but at the other side of things, the result of that was a very serious training session, a very good game plan, and unbelievable ability Brian Smith had to... Um, pick the weaknesses and strengths of the other team and it made our team which were nowhere near as good physically or or uh, physically maybe but ability wise nowhere near as good as the other team but we started winning games because of the, the absolute analysis that he, he'd bring to the table you know we 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 went from mucking around in and, and jokingly uh, watching video sessions to actually filling out you know the tip sheets while we're watching video sessions you know However, the bonus of a Smith coach side was a promotion of values and professionalism that would drag St George to the same levels as sides such as Brisbane, Canberra and Penrith. Tony Priddle explains more about this. Brian Smith brought that structure in. And, I like, I mean, we even used to practice kickoff chasing, which is, you know, like I would be out of, you know, like in my later days, at training, and I and I didn't understand why people didn't pra- practice chasing kickoffs because that's how that's down to the minute detail that we got mm. to when we when Smithy was coaching. So yeah, that that professionalism certainly changed, and I think Smithy was one of those guys that actually changed that um, 
whole idea of professional sport in Australia. Here, Rex Terp gives a more in-depth look at the methods employed by Smith and how it was different from playing in the country. The professionalism, when I first went there, we were training um, on a, a Monday would be a recovery session. There'd be two sessions on the Tuesday, two sessions on the uh, Thursday. We'd have a day off and that was, we were told to participate in what was termed active rest. Um, and I used to go down and do some sprint training and the like where back in the, the country, you know, we, we'd turn up and um, Tuesday, Thursday, Thursday with the ball work session, Tuesday you do a little bit of fitness. Mm-hmm. Um, and Brian Smith really instilled a, a professionalism, which I understand by talking to the players that were there before Smithy, um, about your preparation, about turning up for training, you know, with the right mindset. Um, and... There are lessons that I sort of still carry today. Like Brian Smith always used to say, you know, we start training at, at four o'clock. That means you're here dressed, ready to go on the oval four o'clock, mm. not rocking into training at, at, at four o'clock. And um, it, it was that type of um, professionalism. He would ask you, you know, why are you wearing those boots today? You know, and I think all them are favourites, you know. What about the weather? What about this? Mm. Have you thought about the, um, you know, uh, what the condition's going to be like? Um, you know, he was he was very good. And, you know, kid from the country, he just used to rock up with the same kit bag every every week, didn't matter what the, uh, what the conditions were like. Uh, but Brian really made you think about that. He, he made you try and understand about, how things could sort of unfold in the game, uh, what we were expecting, where the pressure would be sort of coming from. And again, from the days in the country, you just used to turn up and play. You didn't really think about it up until you wouldn't even know who you were marking, you know, where when we got to St. George, it was, um, yeah, it was unbelievable. And carry the tip sheets to, to fill in diary notes about what mm. you thought your strengths and weaknesses were in your last game and your, where do you think you're going to find improvement in the game coming up? It was, um, yeah, there was a fair bit of theory in, in Brian's work, um, as well as getting, you know, getting to understand him about what he expects from you in regards to preparation and the like. After a disastrous eight-win season in 1990, St George turned the corner big time in 1991. A St George side that still lacked out-and-out quality was a much more competitive unit. If it wasn't for a four-match winless run to end the season, the Dragons would have been playing finals football. Saints started the season brilliantly and didn't lose until round five when Manly pipped them 11-8 and had already scored wins over Parramatta, Brisbane and West with a draw against the Gold Coast. A feature of the 1991 season that would become paramount during the 1992 campaign was the Dragons' ability to pull close games out of the fire usually in the final five to ten minutes. Other highlights during the season included winning the first ever game to be played at the Adelaide Oval, doing the double over the Brisbane Broncos, including a dramatic come-from-behind win at Lang Park, 28 points to 26, and a Martin Offia masterclass in a 28 points to 14 defeat of Eastern Suburbs at the Sydney Football Stadium. Smith's dedication as a coach would eventually start to rub off on his players. Jason Donnelly talks about the incredible work ethic of Brian Smith during that period. Look, he's the most dedicated coach I've ever known. Mm. 
he would be would be would you know play a home game, would stroll out of the club at two o'clock in the morning, and his light would be on in his office. One of the big problems for St George was the lack of any real quality in their roster. There were only a few names that would really worry opposition sides. At fullback, the club had lured former Canterbury custodian Mick Potter across. Potter had played a big part in the Dogs' premiership wins in 1984 and the 1985 decider, ironically enough, against St George. Potter would be the club captain for the Saints in 1993 after moving over from Canterbury in 1989. Young centre Mark Coyne was developing into a top-tier player out wide for the Saints. After coming down from the Brothers Club in Queensland, Coyne had put in some solid performances and was developing into a leader on the field. His 1990 season saw him bag eight tries and played 21 games for St George, with fans on the terraces starting to talk glowingly about the young Queensland outside back. Aspiring Olympian turned rugby league player Jason Donnelly was another that had joined the ranks at St George. A blistering quick winger with the physicality of a second rower, Donnelly joined the Dragons in 1991 after taking a call from Brian Smith. And um, I was playing there, and this is when I was super fit. This is when I'd been training with Olympians. I was up to a whole new level, and this reporter got hold of me and said, oh, you know, Jason, you know, you know, I've seen you play. I heard a lot about you. What do you think about going to Australia and playing? I said, oh, yeah, what are you talking about? I said, oh, look, you mind if uh, we get uh, – you take a call from Brian Smith because mm. he's just got a contract at St. George. I said, yeah, right. So uh, I spoke to him and he said, look, would you like to come back and play for St. George? Heard good things about you. I said, all right, look, I'll tell you what, I'll come. All I want is a fair go. And uh, he said, okay, then with all the reports we got, yep, I'll give you a fair go. Elsewhere, the Dragons had veteran centre Mick Beattie, who had been with the club since 1980. Exciting speedster Ricky Walford on the wing, who had been challenged by head coach Smith prior to the 1992 season to have his best season ever. Rugby union convert Scott Goulet, and up-and-coming local junior Brad Mackay, who had made his debut for St George in 1987. Another name that Dragons fans became accustomed to hearing under the Smith coach era of St George was Tony Priddle. Hey diddle diddle, priddle up the middle, would ring out amongst the Dragons faithful on the hill at Cogra. It was a far cry from Priddle's northern New South Wales hometown of McLean. A hard-running prop who had a handy offload, Priddle's work ethic was imperative to Saint's success on the field in 1992 and 1993. However, he started St George and the lack of professionalism he experienced surprised him. I got a little bit of a shock because I'm leaving a town of 3,000 people, you know, in a country area, and I'm sit, sitting there going, yes, I'm going down to play professional sport. And this is probably where my mind alters from, you know, a few other people. Uh, and I was expecting it to be, you know, fully professional. Everyone's just on the same page, doing the same thing and, you know, mm. you know supporting each other and whatnot. And what I found was actually a little bit of a disappointment for me because it was just like a big country football club, except you got to play on television every week. That all changed once Brian Smith walked in the door. One position of particular concern was the halves. 
St George hadn't produced or signed a quality half since Steve Lanane's tenure at the club. Lanane had been found guilty of eye-gouging Greg Alexander in 1987 and ultimately rubbed out for 20 weeks. After a red-hot start to his career in 1985 where he scored 17 tries, Lanane was never able to recapture that sort of form. Former West half Brett Clark, along with rookie Brad McKay, Mr. Fixit Peter Gill and Bronco Dura had all been tried in the number six and seven jumpers with limited success. One player that would have a huge impact in 1992 and 1993 in the halfback role was a pint-sized local junior called Noel Goldthorpe. Goldthorpe had spent 1991 at Western Suburbs after being a Jersey Flag representative for the Saints. Here, Noel talks about his first interactions with Brian Smith and the overconfidence that got him a gig with the Red V. Through a mutual friend of ours, uh, um, myself and Brian's, um, he said to me, um, look, um, I'll get you a, a chat with Brian Smith if you want. And I, at the time, I was I was just, my head was that, you know, going to play footy with my mates. So yeah. I really said to him, no, yeah, whatever. You know, I wasn't, yeah, whatever, yeah. And, um, you know, and the next day, Brian Smith gave me a call and he, and he goes, Noel, and he goes, it's Brian Smith. And I went, oh, shit, <laughs> he's rang me. And, um, yeah, he rang me. He said, oh, mate, can we catch up and have a chat? And I went, yeah, definitely, yeah. So we organised a time and um, I head down at the Lees Club there, walk up to his office and Brian's probably not a, much taller than me, you know, mm. and he's uh, he put his hand out, gave me a real firm handshake and, um, you know, we sat down and, had a bit of small talk there, and then um, his first uh, sort of real question to me was, why do I need a halfback? i got four halfbacks here mm. like that. And I'm thinking, uh, I'm thinking to myself, well, you asked me to come here. Like, <laughs> <laughs> And then I, I, I actually played against all the halfbacks, and I, I don't know why I said it, because anyone that knows me knows that I'm very sort of a quite humble mm. sort of a bloke. And um, I told Brian that, I know the four halfbacks you got. I said, I think I'm better than all of them. <laughs> and um, and he he, um, he then said to me, oh, well, you know, um, if I give you an opportunity, then you'll be starting on the bench in reserve grade. And, you know, I said, I just kept saying to him, I don't care where you start, where mm. I start. I said, I just give me an opportunity. I said, that's all I'm asked for, an opportunity. And he just kept going, oh, well, you'll be on the bench and you'll be starting here and you'll be working hard and, you know, you're going to be full spring. And he just kept throwing negative after negative mm. at me. And, um, you know, I think I wore him down. And I just said to Brian, I said, I don't care where I start, what I do. I said, just give me an opportunity. And I said, mate, I won't let you down. And, um, yeah, I wore him down and he, he, he just stood up out of his chair and he, and he goes, mate, I'll see you Tuesday. With no huge expectations on the Dragons heading into the 1992 preseason, even despite their solid 1991 campaign, there was confidence within the camp that the Dragons could continue to surprise teams and the media in 1992. Brian Smith did his utmost to bolster the St George playing stocks for the new season. Tough and physical back rower David Barnhill made the move up from the successful Canberra Raiders system. A hard-running forward with brick wall-like defence, Barnhill had played in Canberra's successful 1990 premiership side and backed up again in the 1991 decider, this time in a losing outfit. His size and durability would be imperative to Saints' success over the next five seasons. Veteran halfback Ivan Henjak also made the move up from Canberra via Western Suburbs. 
Henjak made his return to Saints, having played with them in 1982 and 1983. He would add much needed depth to the halfback position. Brian Smith's brother Tony made the move from little brother Illawarra and would be called upon several times during the 1992 season. Elsewhere, young firebrands Jason Stevens and Gordon Tallis would train with the first grade squad and play sparingly in 1992, whilst talented young halves Andrew Walker and the aforementioned Noel Goldthorpe also joined the Dragons camp for 1992. With no expectation also came a lack of respect for the St George side in 1992. This saw the media lay the boot into St George at times during the season. Articles that could leave more than a sting or a sour taste in your mouth were regularly taped to lockers, dressing room doors and bathroom windows. Much like the psychology of former coach Roy Masters, Smith was using similar techniques to motivate his side and create a siege mentality. Here's Jason Donnelly again. We're all no-names. Mind you, Smithy used to use that too. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, he'd, have, uh, he'd have things photocopied, put on the walls, and it, what was the journos were saying about us. And uh, it, they were like, yeah, this is what they're saying about you boys. Are they right? According to St George utility Jeff Hardy, the harmony in the squad and togetherness of the team created a culture that brought happiness and ultimately success to St George. From the coaching and backroom staff down to the players, they were all there to achieve the same goal. We had we had, we just had real good blokes. Like I, you know, I was living with Neil Tierney and Peter Coyne. You know, I'd come back from England. We were sharing a, a townhouse together, so we 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 had a real good bond off the field as well. Um, blokes who just got on really well. A really good culture at the club. Um, you know, all the way from the from the staff in the in the club, through to the players, the coaching staff. What I remember of it was just a a real good place to be. You felt comfortable, mm. and um, yeah, and 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 loved every and loved every minute of it. And we and we played well because we got on really well together. St George's 1992 campaign started with the annual Charity Shield against rival South Sydney. St George hadn't won the Charity Shield since 1987 and the previous two clashes had ended in draws, showing the tightness and physicality of the matches between the two clubs. The Dragons had a few familiar names in action in the annual curtain raiser, however neither were in the first grade lineup. Here, Noel Goldthorpe talks about his start at the Dragons. He was right. Um, he did start me in reserve grade. Uh, Andrew Walker and I started in a Charity Shield reserve grade match at the Sydney Footy Stadium. Me and Andrew were half and five eight, and um, yeah, after that game, he took me up to um, Rocky for the next trial, and that, from then on, it made I was um, halfback. Next up for the Red V was the preseason to his challenge. Unfortunately for the Red and Whites, they lasted just the one game in the competition after a ten-all draw with Cronulla in the first round. The Dragons lost on a countback and were dumped out of the competition. However, the game against Cronulla and the preceding Charity Shield clash against Souths had given St George much-needed match fitness and it also helped Brian Smith get a better gauge on what his best 13 looked like. Young half Noel Goldthorpe got the nod to be the starting halfback and would be paired with Peter Coyne at 5'8". Peter, the brother of centre Mark, had a good kicking game, was a solid defender and a dependable goal kicker. While the Dragons' back row of Hardy, Barnhill and Goulet might not have intimidated defences at the start of 1992, 
By the end, it was arguably the best back row in the competition. Elsewhere, the squad looked strong, with the big-bodied Neil Tierney, Wayne Collins and skipper Michael Beattie all in the Dragons' starting squad. St George started the 1992 regular season with a tricky clash against Eastern Suburbs at the Sydney Football Stadium. East were a far cry from the side that dominated rugby league in the mid-1970s. However, still had plenty of quality in the likes of Wiley Half, Gary Freeman, big forward Craig Salvatore, young future representative player Luke Rickardson, along with solid club players Jeff Orford and Nigel Gaffey. The Dragons put in a spirited first-half performance before ultimately falling short in the 20 points to 8 defeat. Mark Coyne continued to prove his worth, crossing for Saints' only try, whilst new signings David Barnhill and Noel Goldthorpe showed bright patches throughout. Ball handling and a distinct lack of discipline hurt the Dragons, who couldn't seem to do anything right in the second half. For the media who had written off St George at the beginning of 92, this defeat added further weight to their claims. St George dusted itself off for their first home game of the 1992 season. Even after the disappointing first up loss, there was an air of anticipation and excitement as the Saints welcomed Parramatta to town. With no changes to the side that was humbled by East, Smith wanted to give his troops the opportunity to right the wrongs. The Dragons put aside any outside pressures and put on a masterclass of attacking football with Noel Goldthorpe having a standout game as the Saints registered First win of 1992. Sterling, Kenny with runners, plenty of them. Slips it back inside to Jackson Bailey, cuts straight through, gets it to Erickson, over the line, can he get it down? It looks as if it's a try, yes. Ian Parnaby signals, first try of the match. Erickson on the end of some good work. Jason Bell slipping the pass Michael back on the inside. The and Parramatta lead 4-0. Goldthorpe. With a back line, Coyne, Hardy, quick hands out to Peter Coyne, and it goes to Beattie, and Beattie will cross. What superb hands. That was classical football from the St George back line, exploiting the overlap, but they had to get the ball there in the first place. Beautiful handling, quick handling across the back line. Goldthorpe out of dummy half, ducks under Cameron Blair's tackle, Sterling was following. Fifth tackle, 20 metres out. Up it goes from Peter Coyne. Goulet coming through. I thought he was offside. He flies for it. The ball bouncing still with a play on. Jeff Hardy's got it. The referee looks as if he's going to award the try. And he does. Second try for the Dragons. An element of luck, no doubt about that. Collins calling the referee to get them back as Goldthorpe goes wide and he's outside firmly. Goldthorpe could go all the way. Chopping and weaving gets it to Ricky Wolf and he plunges for the corner. Walford over in the corner. St George score their third try and the cracks really appearing in the Parramatta defence. Collins inside mate. to Hardy. He's got support in Walford. Walford for the line. He's got support too. And Tony Pittle will finish it off. St George may well, even though it's early in the second half, have sealed the game, scoring the first try of the second half. They lead by 18 points to eight. The first try of the second half is often the vital one. It was Collins away from dummy half. He threw the dummy, slipped away. Beautiful looping pass back inside to Hardy. Walford was backing him up, but the last pass was the clincher. Tony Priddle. Now it's Mark Coyne. He's straight through. Mark Coyne spins for the line and scores. A couple of loose passes. Bouncing around, 
And finally, Mark Coyne comes up with the ball, stopped, looked. The defence looked at him, he took off and went straight through. It's St George 24, Parramatta 8. Only a couple of metres out. St George's defence under pressure now. Sterling works it wide to Kenny. The short ball now for Fitzhenry, and Fitzhenry's over. Simple play by Parramatta, the run around with a man on the burst. St George's defence didn't adjust to it, and Parramatta on the board yet again. Goldthorpe with a field goal attempt. It's a solid looking kick. He had plenty of time and he's landed it and that could be the nail in the coffin. It extends the lead to 13 points. So Parramatta need more than two converted tries now. St George still trying to recover on this side of the field. It's Sterling now, over the top. Intercepted by Walford. Walford will race away. He's chased by Laurie. So too is Marne. We're picking Walford all the way. Chased now by Jason Bell, but Walford will make it to the other end of the field. Great run by Ricky Walford. Sterling knew they had the overlap towards the corner post. He tried to get the ball to Mann, but Walford plucked it out of the air and had too much pace for the chasers. Everybody else stopped and watched from the other end. It's 31 to 14. St George. They don't really have a back line well set, and Goldthorpe puts it in the air. And racing through, plenty of pressure from Walker. The post in the road, and Walker forces it. Well, bad luck there for Fitzhenry, who was waiting right alongside the goalpost. It was a great kick. Glenn Lydiard, Andrew Leeds, Brian Jackson, and Gagley. And here goes St George again with Goldthorpe. And inside, it's Priddle. Priddle striding downfield. Outside him is Barnhill. Can Barnhill make it to the corner? Chased by Marne. Yes, he can. The 40th point racked up by St George. Again, from one end of the field to the other. And Goldthorpe it was, making the break. And the two forwards carried it on. Priddle won't have run this far in a while. And he had Barnhill backing up. Goldthorpe brushing aside the defence. Paper thin. Big Tony Priddle. All six feet four inches of him. Rumbles downfield. And Barnhill, good backing up. He must have learned that at Canberra. For Dragons half Noel Goldthorpe, the match was a real watershed moment. It was just Goldthorpe's seventh first grade match after playing five games across two seasons at Western Suburbs previously. It was undoubtedly his finest performance in first grade. He organised, ran, tackled, chipped, bombed and backed up. All the features of a great half. With Goldthorpe calling the shots, the Dragons looked like a classy team and swept legend Peter Sterling and Parramatta away with ease after a tense first half. And then the second game, we played a cogger against Parramatta and Sterling was playing and Brett Kenny and Peter Sterling were two of my idols. You know, mm. I, had photo, I had photos of these guys on my walls and, um, you know, the run out against Sterling and Brett Kenny was just something I never ever Imagined, imagined that it would have done in my wildest dreams, but um, it was, you know, it turned out a really good day for me. Yeah. We, we ended up flogging the boys, Parramatta, and I, I got me in the match that day too. So, and I remember Sterling coming up after the game and he just said, Well done, young fellow. He said, You played really well. And that, for me, that was mm. the best thing ever. However, some bad news spilled out from the game with talented prop Neil Tinney out for four weeks. Veteran prop Guy Picken also injured and young prop Jason Stevens suspended for four games. The severe lack of depth at the Dragons would be tested with both Matthew Elliott and young forward Tony Priddle to be called upon in the coming weeks. 
In round three, the Dragons faced arguably their biggest test so far of the 1992 season. Matched up against North Sydney away from home would severely test the medal of the Red and Whites. The Bears had a formidable lineup and had reached the preliminary finals the previous season in 1991. Saints had failed to beat the Bears in 1991 with a 25-18 loss at North Sydney, followed by a 12-8 draw late in the season, condemning the Dragons to another season without finals football. Despite the injuries in the front row, the Saints had been bolstered by the return of Mick Potter at the back. Adding the good form of Mark Coyne, Noel Goldthorpe, Tony Priddle and Wayne Collins, the Saints were hopeful of springing a potential upset. What Saints did not barter for was a shell-shocked and wasteful north side as the Red and Whites ran rampant over them in the first 60 minutes. The Dragons led 21-0 with only 20 minutes to go before ultimately hanging on for a 21 points to 16 victory. The win was set up by some fantastic play from Michael Beattie and Peter Coyne. However, it was the forward pack of young prop Tony Priddle that really stood out. Priddle chased down Billy Moore to save a certain try and kept coming at the Norse defence despite being on the receiving end of two crunching hits. Jeff Hardy also had a super game and was proving his value at lock. Hardy was always involved in the tough stuff of games and would often be the first to put up his hand for a carry. Not an overly flashy player, Hardy was a vital cog in the Dragons' engine room. His value would be underpinning future years as a leader, but back in 1992, he was making a name for himself as a tough and uncompromising forward man for the Saints. Hardy had the advantage of playing previously under Smith whilst at Illawarra, but had also been coached and taught by him at James Cook High School as a youngster. Here, Hardy talks about his beginnings at the club and what made the Saints so successful under Brian Smith during the 1990s, but in particular, 1992. Yeah, well, I, I just sort of joined in, and um, yeah, what, the first thing you know, you know about St George is you just learn about the tradition of the club, and you know how proud it is, and how much it's an honour, an honour it is to play, you know, and pull the red V on, and um, and and I was the same, and I was you know super enthusiastic to play, and and then Brian's, you know, added his his touch of you know hard work and work ethic, you know, to what it all what was already there. And I think, um, you know, astute buying and, and his, and his you know, philosophy to coaching about discipline and hard work, and, mm. you know, it, it molded well and gelled well with the talent that was there to go on and then have a, you know, a really, you know, successful time during those, that 90s period. The Dragons would make it three wins on the trot the following week against bitter local rivals Canterbury Bankstown. The Saints fell behind early and trailed 6-4 at halftime before their class and resilience came to the fore in the second half. At Cogra, under the guiding hand of Ewan McGrady and Darren Smith, Canterbury battled to a 6-4 halftime lead over St George when Matthew Ryan crossed. But star performances from Tony Priddle and Mark Coyne lifted the Dragons to a 16-6 win, made sweeter by the safe return from injury of Brad Mackay. Saints had been blessed by the returns of Mick Potter, Guy Picken and Test International Brad Mackay in recent weeks. For Mackay, the Canterbury clash was his first real hit out in 1992 after enduring a wretched 1991 campaign where he broke his thumb three times. A sensational player who was versatile, a natural leader and gifted ball player and runner, Mackay was a star performer in a Saints side that lacked star power. 
A Brighton Seagulls junior, Mackay made his first grade debut in 1987 under the watchful eye of Roy Masters. His versatility at times had been a curse, with Mackay having played as a centre, 5'8 and lock at various times during his young career. Back row was his favourite position and the position where he flourished the most for the Dragons. 1992 and 1993 would be career years for the dynamic forward who was ready to hit his straps for the Saints. The good times continued for Saints fans as they fended off rival South Sydney in their Round 5 Winfield Cup clash at the Sydney Football Stadium. St George had put their fans through hell in recent campaigns with inconsistent performances, blowing of leads, play indiscretions and just general poor play. However, in 1992, they were breaking the shackles of these frustrating performances with some spirited showings. This was certainly the case against Souths, who were fresh off back-to-back -back wins and boasted some quality backline players in Rod Mabon, Tim Horan and Craig Coleman. The Dragons were playing a classy style of football with offloads, superb support play and great kick chase all a feature. Despite some questionable tactics by the South Sydney side, the Dragons didn't retaliate and instead focused on consistency and getting the job done. After a narrow loss in the Charity Shield, the Dragons extract a revenge with a comfortable 26 points to 14 win. Peter Coyne continued his great 1992 campaign, creating much in attack while landing seven from eight in the goal-kicking stakes. Elsewhere, Tony Priddle with his trademark running style and creative offload was in top form alongside back rower Scott Goulet, who was priming as one of the best ball running back rowers in the competition. Goulet, the son of Robin Goulet, who had played in St George's famous sides of the 1950s and 60s, was underpinning his value to the club. Quiet and unassuming off the field, he was anything but when he crossed over that white line. Brad Mackay came on as a replacement in the first half and put in a stylish performance at lock, whilst Noel Goldthorpe and Mick Potter in the back line were once again shining lights. The good news did not stop there, with a host of Dragons players rewarded for their good start to the season by being included in the New South Wales City and New South Wales country squads that were announced after the Souths game. Mick Potter, Scott Goulet and Wayne Collins were picked in the country origin side, whilst Brad Mackay, Tony Priddle and Noel Goldthorpe were awarded with city origin berths. Goldthorpe had just 10 first grade games next to his name, and at the same stage last season was playing in reserve grade for Western Suburbs. Unfortunately for the Saints, that is where their good fortune ran out. With six players in representative squads, a tired-looking St George side had to front up to battle Balmain back at home at Cogra Oval. The fatigue reared its head in the second half after St George had established a 16 points to 2 lead. They somehow fell into a big hole in the second stanza and were run over 22 points to 17, much to the dismay of the St George loyalists in attendance. Coach Brian Smith was bitterly disappointed with the loss, but felt his troops had learned a valuable lesson of not taking their foot off the pedal and falling asleep when they thought the job was done. In a rare bright spot, rugby union convert and supremely talented 5'8 Andrew Walker came on as a replacement in the second half and plotted a field goal to put the Dragons up 17-16 after the scores had been locked. Walker had been biding his time in reserve grade after the move across from the Randwick Rugby Club and looks like a player that could make a decent contribution over the course of the 1992 season. However, there was some good news for Saints, with Brad Mackay New South Wales and Mark Coyne Queensland 
both selected on the respective sides' benches for the first State of Origin match. This concludes part one of The Missing Rings. Make sure you don't miss part two being released shortly, detailing some of the setbacks and the comeback by St. George during their 1992 campaign. With exclusive highlights, insights and stories from a season that achieved so much. Don't miss out on this fantastic documentary series with part two being released on the 16th of September. Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.